knowing that I wasn't alone in my grief made the unbearable feel just a tiny bit lighter. So surrounding myself with other people who love and miss her and not trying to shove down the grief or forget has been really helpful. Giving myself- Wait, can I say, Molly, before yeah. you go on, I love that you said a few minutes ago, and this is tied directly to what you just said, that you filled the void of her being gone with her. Yes. <laughs> like you filled your life with summer. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That is so amazing. And I really hope if you're out there and you have lost someone to death that you love super deeply, that you miss terribly, please, I, we encourage you fill your life with them yeah. and allow yourself, give yourself over to the grieving process. Hey family, I'm Coach Steph and I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven-week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. Let's jump in. I'm so happy to introduce you today. This is Angela talking to my very best friend. Molly M. Galbraith is with us. She is the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong, otherwise known as GGS, the world's largest platform providing evidence-based health, fitness, nutrition, pregnancy, and menopause education for women and the health and fitness professionals who work with them, including industry-leading certification programs and coaching. She's also the author of the book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, and has spoken all over the world at top conferences and prestigious universities. And she has been featured in publications like Time, People, Today, ABC, Women's Health, and many more. We are so delighted to have Molly M. Galbraith and my best friend with us today. Molly, thank you for joining us. Oh, Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Ange and Steph. I am obviously Angela. We've been best friends for over two decades now, and I've had a up close and personal kind of behind the scenes view of what you've been through and what Steph has been through and just the incredible ways that you all have navigated the challenges and the difficulty of grief and to see you all take these incredibly painful, difficult circumstances and turn them into something as magnificent as this podcast is just is a really beautiful thing. So I, I consider it an honor to, to be part of it. Well, thank you so much. And I just echo everything that Angela said about you. It's been really amazing for me as Angela's sister to see your all's friendship over the years. Tell us a little bit more about your friendship. Where did you meet? What is your friendship like? <laughs> oh, and do you want to go first? I know. I was going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, I can start. Which, like, I think that Molly felt like when we first met in middle school that she, you know, that I didn't like her is what she'll probably tell you. And that's one, because middle school is just a cruel time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. For all of you parents out there who have middle schoolers, we lament with you. We know that it's a tough time. <laughs> we know it's a tough time. There's a lot of hormones and a lot of things happening. And also it's just a hard time for friendships. And so Molly and I kind of started off on a rocky foot in middle school. 
And that was because I think that the boy, she says it, and I really don't remember it though. I think I just put it, maybe I just swept, swept it under the rug, but <laughs> apparently a boy I liked, liked her more, which is totally understandable. <laughs> and <laughs> at 39, I can say that very understandable. And so at first I was kind of like, she's the fabulous girl that this guy likes. But then in ninth grade, we became best, best friends. And I don't even know. I mean, Molly, do you remember exactly how it happened in ninth grade? I do not remember how it happened. And I will say, <laughs> listen, I consider the middle school incident to be a blip on the radar of our friendship. <laughs> right. Like, of course. You know, maybe if I'm trying to be extra funny in a group of people, we start off by telling that story. But for the most part, I think of our friendship as starting in, in ninth grade. No, I do not remember how exactly we became best friends, but we were instantly inseparable and yeah. the wild thing is that we've only lived in the same city for that four-year period in high school and yeah. we have maintained our besides a little a little stint a summer stint in college but we've maintained our friendship for over two decades we've had a long a long distance best friendship for <laughs> over two decades after just four years of of friendship in person in high school. I didn't expect to start crying five minutes into the podcast. But <laughs> I, Hold on. I mean, my, yeah, I mean, my friendship with Angela is, I mean, it's gold. It is, it's the, it's literally, literally feels like, like the friendship of a lifetime, you know, just mm. one of those people that has been there for you in your darkest moments, has been there for you in your most exciting celebratory moments the person you can say anything to the person who will you know fly and be by your side when your dad dies when your sister dies like just yeah. just everything you know the person that you can laugh with the person that you can you know say the things that you would never say to anybody else because they would just they would judge you for it yeah right? like yeah the person yeah who just ends you in every single thing that you do you know, it's just been Angela's Angela and her friendship has been one of the greatest gifts of my entire life. That's oh, beautiful. Molly, I don't even know how to follow that except to say that, yes, what what started as a love for many chocolate chip muffins <laughs> and dancing in Molly's living room. That's what we would do in high school. We would, <laughs> we would meet up after high school and just dance in her living room together, makeup routines, and do them. Eat ramen noodles <laughs> and, and eat ramen. Yeah. yeah. Muffins. And then over two decades, like she said, we just have taken turns flying back and forth to one another. In whatever city that we've lived in, we always visit one another. We always, we talk almost every week. We definitely text every week. And we're just there for each other. Molly has been, she's the most generous person I've ever known. Mm -hmm. Wildly generous with every resource that she has. And to a fault sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and also wildly compassionate. Huge, huge heart. Fierce. Fierce lover and defender of justice. Always in your corner. And I'm, I'm very grateful too. I, I do. I think if I could give everyone one gift in the world, it probably would be the gift of this kind of friendship because mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that sustains you on every kind of day. Yeah. Molly is being super brave and vulnerable today on this podcast. She is speaking to us in what would, I would say is only maybe second to one other time. It is, it's only comparable to one other time in her life. And it's when her dad died 
She's speaking to us in a very, very tender time in her life. She has two older sisters. She's the youngest. And her older sister, Summer, died just a couple of months ago at just 42 years young. Molly, could you describe for us your sisterhood with Summer? What was it like to be sisters with her? Oh, man. I mean, (laughs) you know, I've got some of the same kind of language for my sisterhood with Summer in that it it was it was gold and she was gold. You know, we were we were five years apart and grew up in a household where our parents divorced when we were I was quite young. I was somewhere between four and five and she was nine or ten when our parents divorced. And our mom went back to law school shortly after that. She started law school as a single mom of three girls. My father was a activist and politician, often out on the campaign trail. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so, yeah, a childhood, I look back on my childhood with fondness, but I can also look back and see a lot of challenges. Summer has always been incredibly introverted, quiet. She's been a big reader. And from what I can kind of remember growing up, shortly after my parents' divorce, she really retreated, retreated into her kind of world of books and just kind of spending time by herself. And she had a difficult time in middle school. She was bullied really significantly. She ended up switching schools to go in eighth grade to go to the School for the Creative and Performing Arts, where Angela attended as well, where I would say someone who was maybe a little bit, you know, more different or artsy or into creative writing or whatever would be a little bit more accepted. Um, yeah. She went on. She went on to to go to the high school where the School for the Creative and Performing Arts continued, and then she left right after high school. And so when I think back, gosh, it was 1997 when she moved away. So I was, you know, hadn't even turned 13 yet. Yeah. And so when we were younger, we, you know, we were. We loved each other, but we really didn't get to develop a deep, deep friendship, right? We were so young. We had a lot of, you know, trauma in our childhood. She was so introverted. I was, you know, very extroverted and loud. And so we were really different. We have a middle sister between us who I think soaked up a lot of the attention probably from parents. And so, yeah, we weren't, I would not call describe our friend, our sisterhood as incredibly close growing up. Summer went to college, moved around a couple different places, ended up meeting the, she met who would end up being the love of her life in a, on the internet in 1996, which is pretty yeah. wild. Yeah. They started out as friends and ended up falling in love with one another. Her wife's name is Kate. They moved to New Zealand in 2005 so that Kate could finish her PhD and they moved back in 2015. So I would say in touch quite a bit while Summer was in New Zealand, a lot of emailing. I flew over there to see her after my niece was born in 2009. But our deep, deep sisterhood and friendship, I would say, really began in 2015. She moved back to Lexington, Kentucky, where I was living at the time, and she started working with Girls Gone Strong. And for the last seven years, she has been um, we've just really developed a totally different relationship together as adults. And she's been one of my best friends, my big sister, teammate, a team member. She's been a confidant, a sounding board, a rock. I mean, if you know Summer, she's just the most quiet, like uh, quiet. She's come out of her shell a little bit as she's gotten older, but I would say calm. I would say grounded. I would say kind. I would say just steady, like the most steady 
presence in my life. And we've just absolutely, she's just become one of my people. And to lose her so shockingly and so suddenly with, you know, no warning signs or symptoms just absolutely shattered my heart and my world. And I just have a, you know, I have a summer-sized hole in my heart and my life now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this this is Coach Steph talking. And first of all, I have to say, I'm so, so happy that you all were able to start connecting over the last few years and that your relationship just became closer and closer. And that really warms my heart. So many people that we talk to, you know, even though all of us have some sort of regret, I'm just really glad that you all were were really close later on in life. Molly, we wanted to also ask you if you, and and I know how difficult, you know, things like this can be, but I think it's so important for listeners out there. Would you be able to maybe take us back to the week that Summer passed away and and what that grief was like for you? Or can you recall some of that heartbreaking week? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, so it was August 13th. It was a Saturday. I, so my family, most of my family is in Lexington, Kentucky. I spend the majority of my time in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I was in Arizona. It was a Saturday kind of morning or early afternoon. And I, my mom is an attorney and I had been texting her about some stuff related to work and, and legal stuff. And she texted me back and said, please call me in all caps. And so I thought it was related to the legal stuff we were talking about. And I called her and she said, honey, I'm at the hospital. It's summer. And it's a little bit fuzzy what she was saying now when I think back on it, but essentially she was saying that summer had, had collapsed and they're not exactly sure what was going on. They think it was a pulmonary embolism. Uh, but she would know more later. And I just never in a million years thought that it, that, that death was even a possibility on the table. I just was kind of like, okay. And I grew up in a household where, um, you know, certain family members would really escalate and they would escalate quickly. And so for me, I, kind of learn to have a bit of a pause before I react to stuff for the most part. So I was just kind of taking it in and I was kind of like, okay. And I I don't know if it was a protected mechanism from my brain or if it was just kind of my inclination to pause and respond versus react. But I was kind of like, okay, well, keep me updated, you know, like I, you know, please let me know what's going on when you know more. And she, she said two things that looking back seemed very obvious that it was more serious than I realized. But again, I, I just wasn't taking it all in. She said, I'm with the chaplain. And she also said, you know, this is not the kind of thing where they can just, where if something goes wrong, that they can just kind of shock her back or whatever. And I was just kind of like, okay, so if something goes wrong, you know what I mean? Like, again, I just wasn't, I don't know. I just wasn't really going there. And anyway, about 45 minutes passed and I know I reached out to Ange and kind of told her what was going on. And she's kind of like, you know, I'm going to pray for you. And, you know, and Ange, I, I, I can't remember if it was something different than that. Feel free to correct me, but you just, you talked to me and you were like, okay, well, let me know what's going on. And um, then through a series of mix-ups, my middle sister calls me and my she had had COVID previously. 
And so my mom was not going to tell her that Summer was in the hospital because my mom didn't want my sister to come in case she just. And she ends up calling me, my middle sister, Abby, and she called me and she's like, Molly, what, you know, and she was, I, I won't say the word, say the words on the podcast, but she is cussing and she's like, you know, what the heck, what the heck? And I'm like, I know. And she's like, are you coming home? I don't even know what to do. And I'm like, I, yeah, no, I'll, I'll probably come home. I just don't know. And I was, she's like, I'm going to the hospital. And I'm like, you can't go to the hospital. And she's like, she's like, I have to go to the hospital. And I was like, Abby, you can't. What if you give summer COVID? And she's like, it doesn't matter if she gets COVID. And I was like, yes, it does. Abby, that could be really bad for her. And she goes, she's dead. And she just screamed into the phone. She's dead. And uh, at that moment, mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I just mm -hmm. hit my knees and started screaming. And that part's pretty blurry, but I know yeah. I, I collapsed and was just yelling. It's not true. It's not true. What are you talking about? Tell me it's not true. And my mom grabbed the phone from my sister and she had basically my mom, Summer had died and my mom had not, you know, there's a lot of people kind of to alert when something like that's happening because they want to come to the hospital and whatnot. And my mom was wanting to make sure that I wasn't alone when I learned that information. So my mom had been trying to get in touch with Angela. She had been trying to get in contact with my partner, Casey, because she didn't want that information to be delivered to me when I was alone. Um and so, you know, the rest of that day is kind of a blur. It was probably 3.30 or 4 o'clock Pacific time when that happened. And I got on the computer and booked myself somehow. I got myself together to book myself and my partner tickets to get back to Lexington. We were taking a red-eye flight and we're landing in Lexington about 9 p.m. And I was, uh, I ended up calling Angela again and talking to her and just saying, I think they think they're confused. Like, I don't, I don't think this is not, this is not, this can't be true. Like she just, that doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. I, I think I need to call them back to make sure that I'm not telling you wrong information. And my brain just could not, could not accept the fact that this had just happened. And so I think I've heard it best described by Brene Brown as, as the, emotion anguish and it's a combination of grief shock powerlessness and incredulity or the inability or unwillingness to accept something and that's looking back I think what I was feeling so much of and so we my partner was wonderful he you know helped me get everything packed and he you know kind of closed down the house because we didn't know how long we were going to be gone and I was crying so uncontrollably and so hard that I did not carry a package, like a little packet of tissues onto the plane. I had a box. I had one of the actual like <laughs> rectangular yeah. like yeah. Kleenex yeah. boxes. And I was just shuffling around the airport, sobbing uncontrollably every five minutes. I would just stop and just start, you know, crying all over again. Yeah. And we got back to Kentucky and my mom picked me up. And of course, we just fell into each other when we saw each other. And then I saw, went and saw Summer's wife and daughter and same kind of thing happened and talked to Angela. And of course, Angela's like, okay, when do you want me to be there? And she said, I can be there as early as Monday. When do you want me? And I was like, I want you as soon as possible. I want you yeah. Monday. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, I mean, that first week was just so much, just so many tears, just so much. I, I think the the powerlessness is is the thing. You know, I I have um I, I think I'm a really capable person. I'm a person who, you know, I set goals for myself and I achieve them. I'm able to, you know, build skills and and go through different, you know, practices to build certain skills and and I just, I take a lot of action and ownership in my life. And so to have something, it's like, there's no, there's no action to take here. There's no, nothing that I can do to fix or solve this problem. There's nothing I can do to take this away. There's no hack or tip or trick. You know what I mean? That's right. It's yeah, like, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's going to fix this thing. And I'm like, I just feel so powerless. I just have to submit to the grief and the sadness and the sobbing and the anger and the frustration, you know, and like guilt and like all of the other feelings that come along with, you know, why didn't we recognize what might be happening to Summer? You know, she had told me something weird about her blood pressure. Why didn't I push her to, you know, do this thing? And, um, and so for me, I would say the powerlessness was probably one of the most difficult things that I was dealing with that first week. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, you know, first of all, your story is, is so similar to mine. And mm -hmm. as far as, my, you know, my son Mason passing away from also a heart condition. And yeah. I, I just, I, I remember, or I sort of fuzzily remember those first days, weeks, and minutes. And I know that so many people out there have those same feelings of just powerlessness and yeah. We, we are with you here, Molly. We love you so much. And in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about some helpful ways that you can start that grieving and relieving process. And before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created RISE. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes. Molly, I feel like the way that you described learning that Summer had died that day and then getting on the planes and the boxes of tissues that you carried around and what it felt like to be you that week is just in a way that so many people who lose someone suddenly can resonate with. Mm. And as someone who was a witness, you know, not only on the day that Summer died, but that entire week to your pain, it's just, it was, it was, it was such a shocking thing. It was very evident that like that, that's, and then that's how it felt to all of us, just totally blindsided by her death. And there is a kind of death, I think, a kind of grief that follows that kind of sudden death that's just very complex and difficult because you're, it's just, you don't, there's just a lack of preparation <laughs> that you're trying to go back through the weeks prior and wonder, Oh, what could I have done differently? 
or the months prior, you know, in the particular week that I was with you in Kentucky and with your family, what I saw was you all coming together and really, really longing to, to honor her life rightly. Yeah. Um, you've, as someone who was such a good human being, and I feel like a lot of people after we die, we talk about how great they were, but Summer legitimately was like <laughs> a very, very good human being. Yeah, She really just, she's not, as you said, she was so steady and so grounded that she wasn't the kind of person she wasn't ever volatile she's not someone who had like anger issues she's not someone who often or like hardly ever like hurt anyone else's feelings mm-hmm. and in fact like she lived her life in such a way that she was always trying to love well especially in light of her faith i witnessed your family and her trying to honor her life as much as possible. And so you all did a celebrating summer service. That's what you called it, right? Celebrating Mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. I love that. And it really captured, I wasn't able to be there in person because it had to be delayed a week. I was already there and then it had to be delayed a week due to COVID. COVID has the blur. And anyone who's listening to this, I know who has, who lost a loved one to COVID, that's a different episode. We will come back to that but also who's just been trying to honor loved ones in the midst of this ongoing pandemic and the aftermath of this pandemic, we lament with you. We see you. So the, her service had to be backed up a week, but you were able to stream it online, which is such a gift of digital media today. Mm-hmm. So people got to see it that couldn't be there in person, including me. And it really captured who she was to you, to so many people who loved her and what she meant um, to people. So could you tell us a little bit more about what Summer was like? What was she like? And what made her such a good person? Yeah, no, I appreciate those kind words we did. We tried so hard to create a service that would honor just who she was to all of us and who she was in the world, really. And yes, yeah. You know, I think so. I did both the eulogy at the service and also kind of about kind of who she was in general to all of us and then kind of my own personal reflection. And so I think I would love to share just a little kind of snippet of the eulogy. And yes, please kind of, do, please do. Yeah. Kind of my personal reflection. I'll just kind of start at the at the very beginning of the eulogy and then transition into my reflection. But never once one of the most remarkable things about summer was how true she was to herself and how much she just owned exactly who she was and so that her eulogy kind of starts out never one to follow convention summer was due on november 21st but came a full 33 days late (laughs) just the right time to be born on christmas eve a holy day for this holy gentle soul to enter Mm. the world Mm impossible to fit everything I want to say about my treasured sister into a two to three minute reflection so I'll just share this. Bronnie Ware is a lecturer and writer who spent eight years as a caregiver for the ill and dying and in her book The Top Five Regrets of the Dying she says the number one wish of folks on their deathbed is I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me and if there's anything Summer did She lived a life 100% true to herself. At seven years old, she got up on stage in front of a crowd and spoke about peace at an anti-nuclear war rally. 
At nine, she became a vegetarian because she couldn't stand the thought of eating animals. At 11, she started fasting on Thanksgiving because she didn't want to celebrate genocide. At age 13, she wouldn't step foot into the new addition to Fayette Mall because of the trees they cut down to build it. At age 15, she got a subscription to Ms. Magazine, the first national American feminist magazine co-founded by Gloria Steinem. At age 17, in her senior picture, she proudly wore a t-shirt that said, only elephants should wear ivory. Mm -hmm. At age 19, she decided to create her own degree program that they didn't have at her college and combined a bachelor's degree in political science, economics, and sociology to have her school's first ever social justice degree. I couldn't always see it at the time, but looking back, I can clearly see how her early activism and desire to make the world a better place for all women and girls influenced me deeply. Her influence came full circle when she moved back to Kentucky in 2015 and started at Girls Turn Strong, where our mission is to help women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies so they can change the world. For seven years, Summer and I got to work together embodying the values she's had since she was a little girl. Justice, equity, and making a difference. And after years of body image struggles that I had, it was a very cool full circle moment for both of us when Ella, her daughter, told Summer that she wants big, strong arms like Aunt Momo. That's me. <laughs> and on the Wednesday before Summer died, Ella opened a brand new set of adjustable dumbbells I had given her as a gift so that she could start strength training. Oh. We know, <laughs> we know Summer didn't have the chance to see death coming, but if she did, I know she would have felt so at peace with how she spent her time each week, caring for her family, connecting with her friends and loved ones, volunteering at Kentucky Refugee Ministries and being of service to others, and doing work that makes the world a better place. And I know she would have been proud that she did it in a way that was 100% true to herself. I love you, Summer. Thank you for being my big sister and one of my best friends. Life will never be the same without you. Oh, gosh. Beautiful. As she did so much in her life, <laughs> we could only dream of doing in our <laughs> lives. I know. Half of that. It's so I mean, interesting to think about how, like, kind of, again, just kind of intro introverted and kept to herself that she was, but then to see all of like the massive impact she had. It's like this, you know, just like slow, steady kind of, I don't know, just all the little small things that she did for people just built up over time for her to have this enormous impact. I mean, all these people are coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, like Summer did this for me. I was really struggling and she offered to take me to lunch. She would reach out and check in on me because she knew my daughter had been diagnosed with autism and we'd have conversations about, I mean, just like all of these people that I didn't even know Summer had a relationship with have come out since her passing and talked about how much she supported them, influenced them, cared for them, spoke life into them, loved on them, like made them feel valuable. It was just really incredible. Yeah. And that really, I just want to highlight two things there that I think are really important for listeners. And one is that you don't have to be an extrovert to change the world mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or to make an impact in the ways that, you know, just be you. Like find the things that you're passionate about and each day in your own way, live toward them. 
you know, that you don't have to, you know, you know, I mean, I think oftentimes you think about high impact people as being the loudest person in the room or being this big, you know, charismatic personality. And that's fine if that's you, but that doesn't have to be you to make, you know, to make an impact. And two, what I hear you saying is that it means a lot to you that people are helping to keep Summer alive. Yeah, are telling you about her. Like that is the thing that we want the most when someone we love dies is we're like, help me keep them alive. Like, mm-hmm. don't forget about, about them. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell me, tell me as much as possible. Right, Steph? I mean, you know yes. that. That's how yes. it feels. Yeah. Well, I would completely agree with you. I think so often, so often people out there, they're afraid to say anything to you or they don't want to trigger you or they, mm-hmm. yeah, they don't want to remind you that you had a loved one pass away. And we'll be the first to tell you. And for those of you out there listening who have had someone, you know, pass on is like, we're thinking about them 24 seven, yeah. every moment of the day. <laughs> so by you saying their name, is it going to remind us right. that something <laughs> happened? You know, you're, you're actually like for people to say his name, Mason, just empowers me and helps me know that other people are thinking about him as much. And as a side note, um, during the holidays, I know at a lot of veterinary cemeteries, my daughter and I would go when she was in high school and volunteer. And one of the things that she would do is hang a wreath on their gravesite and Mm -hmm. say their name out loud. And it was so powerful to do that. And it's beautiful. And so don't hesitate if you're out there, you know, bring it up, tell a story could be, you know, one of the best things to do. Another thing, Molly, that that happened to me and when I was very new in my grief journey and even probably for at least the first six months, this was also the case with my my teenage daughter. We had a lot of memory loss and mm-hmm. You may or may not be experiencing that as well, but what has grief been like for you in the weeks and months since her de- her death? And it, it, what has your daily life looked like, for example? Yeah, no, memory loss is definitely, that's actually something that I al- have already struggled with in my life, I think, due to just some different experiences of, you know, trauma. And I also was, I di- was diagnosed with ADHD last year, which there's some, you know, brain fog and short-term memory stuff associated with it, but definitely like being in that deep, intense grief. And again, is it the brain trying to kind of protect us from what's going on? Is it just our nervous system being overloaded? I don't, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I've definitely dealt with that. You know, I spent the first five weeks after Summer died in Kentucky with my family. And so there was a lot of spending time with them doing things to, well, there, of course, there's a lot of logistics, like the first two weeks, right? You're trying to figure out for us, we were trying to figure out the service and trying to organize stuff and navigating certain people coming down with COVID. And so it was a lot of like, go, 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 go. And you're just, is the way that I hear a lot of people talk about it. You're just like, okay, we have to do this thing. And so we're just going to get up and go through it. And yes. And, and then after that, when you realize there's nothing else you kind of have to do, right. Then you just kind of collapse and you collapse back into your everyday life, which will never be the same again. And so for me, I tried to give myself permission to engage in the most radical self-care I possibly could. Mm. And for me, that was 
a lot of time in nature. It was going for walks in places, particularly in places Summer and I used to walk together. It was creating a playlist of songs that remind me of her and just listening to them out in nature and thinking about her and, you know, crying and scaring everybody else in the trail at the park where I was walking because I'm just sobbing uncontrollably. It was spending time around other people who deeply, you know, love and care about her and remembering her and, you know, having conversations. It was scrolling through our text message conversations and our Slack conversations and searching for videos and pictures of her and re-watching her service multiple times and just really just not shying away from, um, you know, doing everything I could to just soak her up and remember her. She was such a big part of my everyday life that there was just an enormous void after she passed. And I just, I wanted to fill that void with her. The first, the first five weeks, I was so lucky and blessed. My partner, Casey, just really, he's a fixer. And when he realized he couldn't fix this, he kind of dove into the business and started quote unquote fixing by trying to fill the gaps in the work that Summer did for us and support other team members and work with them to figure out, you know, what she was doing and how, you know, they could and whatnot. So that was, I was incredibly blessed that I did very little work for the first five weeks and it was just a lot of self-care. And then I had to come back to Arizona and that was very bittersweet. My place where I live here in Arizona is a, a respite for me. It's a really calm space. It's a space where it's really conducive to self-care. You know, I'm, I have a beautiful view of mountains, which is I love, and I've got you know, a nice neighborhood to walk in and I have great access to gym equipment and good food and all that kind of stuff. But I had to leave my family and it felt a little bit like, again, returning back to normal when we know that our lives are never going to be normal again. I was really nervous for the flight back and it it ended up going okay. It went a little better than I was expecting. And I was nervous to come back to the place, like the phys- actual physical space in my, kind of the space between my bedroom and my bathroom where I was when I found out that she died. Oh, and, yeah, that could be so triggering. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, it actually kind of ended up being okay. And I, I don't know if it's because the space that I've cultivated here is a really calm, you know, happy space for me, or if it's because I really didn't, you know, I didn't spend the five weeks before coming back here trying to forget about her, right? I did a lot of processing and a lot of thinking about her and a lot of just like letting myself be deep in the grief that it wasn't a shock to my system when I walked back in that space again, you know, because I had really let myself go there. And so, yeah, so I ended up being okay. And my daily life has been, you know, a kind of a it's been an easing back into what I did before, but I really, when I sat down and thought about it a couple of weeks ago, I thought about some things which I'd like to dive into if we have a minute to the things that have helped me manage her grief in the last two months um, since she passed away, like the specific things that I've been doing. If you, Yeah, absolutely. As the co-founder of an organization <laughs> that has helped hundreds of thousands of women, literally, feel stronger and more confident and more empowered in their bodies and in their lives. I think it's really important that listeners hear from you. How have you cared for yourself, your body, your life during this profoundly sad time? Yeah, I kind of sat down and 
again, I've, I've engaged in a lot of these practices over time. I've been in therapy for a really long time. I've been going to therapy for 14 years. And so and have dealt with sudden death before with the passing of my father almost 11 years ago. Um, so I just kind of sat down and said, okay, like, what are the things that I've been doing that have helped me? And the first one was surrounding myself with other people who love her and miss her whenever possible. So like you all said, to hear her name, to be with people who are as sad as I am, to hear how she's impacted people's lives, to tell stories about her, to watch videos of her, like has just been the most, you know, kind of beautiful healing thing. And it's been so nice to share stories and pictures and videos and stuff back and forth with my sister and my cousin and with Summer's wife and her daughter and my mom. And so I've been, you know, knowing that I wasn't alone in my grief made the unbearable feel just a tiny bit lighter. So surrounding myself with other people who love and miss her and not trying to shove down the grief or forget has been really helpful. Giving myself- Wait, can I say, Molly, before yeah. you go on, I love that you said a few minutes ago, and this is tied directly to what you just said, that you filled the void of her being gone with her. Yes. <laughs> like you filled your life with summer. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That is so amazing. And I really hope if you're out there and you have lost someone to death that you love super deeply, that you miss terribly, please, I, we encourage you fill your life with them yeah. <laughs> and allow yourself, give yourself over to the grieving process, you know, because grief is like the bear hunt song. You cannot go around <laughs> it. You cannot go over it. You cannot go under it. Like you must go through it. And so we invite you to just to, to allow yourself to live toward this person to fill your life with this person mm -hmm. and to invite other people like Molly did to tell stories and to share their perspective on this person with you you know to say please say their name talk about them you know bring them up to me so that's wonderful that's the first thing what are other things that you might offer to people Molly yeah so I gave myself permission to feel whatever was arising so whether mm -hmm. that was just deep sadness anger confusion shock fear joy powerlessness happiness regret like I just let those feelings happen and I didn't judge them I just I knew that they were there to serve a purpose and it's been everything from like I said you know, sadness, powerlessness, regret, guilt to, you know, joy, happiness, calm, like peace. I've experienced all of those kind of different emotions in the last, in the last 10 weeks at different times. And it's been really helpful just to, you know, to not judge myself like, you know, how could I be happy right now? My sister just died, you know, and just let yeah. myself give myself over to the experiences of those emotions similar to number one, number one, I've given myself a lot of time and space to remember her. So reading through our text threads, listening to her voicemails, scrolling through her Facebook page, you know, I don't avoid these things. I seek them and then I share them with other people who love her. But on the flip side, I've also given myself time and space to not think about her. And at first, when my mind would drift away from her, I would feel guilty. I'd be like, how can I think about anything other than my sister right now? then I realized like, okay, in order to heal, I have to let my mind and my life be filled with other things too, which was kind of an unexpected, unexpected one. Number five was spending time in nature, listening to her favorite songs while crying. You know, there's mm -hmm. something about being in nature that makes me feel closer to her. It makes me feel, you know, just closer to our creator. And it makes me 
just feel interconnected with the world and her. And it's just been an incredibly healing thing for me. I feel like I can feel her presence with me when I'm in the solitude of the mountains. I love and that. That's been really helpful for me writing down memories I have of us so like no matter how so number six is writing down memories I have no matter how insignificant they are I'm like in my phone I'm like watching Aladdin in the theater and eat because you know, I, I don't want to forget anything oh, wow yeah I just like I want I want to remember every second of her <laughs> and our relationship because we you know I don't get to make new memories with her and so I was in the pool the other day and there was a bug kind of flailing around in the water and I just had this instant memory that she and I spent used to spend our summers rescuing stupid beetles who would fly into the pool and get and start to drown. <laughs> and we would literally just spend like like hours in the pool fishing these beetles out of the pool just for them to fly back into the pool and start drowning again. But we couldn't stand the thought that there were these little beetles, you know, like flailing around in the water drowning. And so I, I wrote that memory down, you know, of us rescuing beetles together at the pool and I just I want to remember as much as I can about her even the mundane stuff so I write down the memories of us so I can go back and read them later one really special thing was having conversations with people like her friends to get to know parts of her that I never knew so you know she was my big sister and one of my best friends but there's so much about her life that I don't know and so I had a zoom call the other week with her high school with her best friend from high school and she just told me what high school, you know, I was 11 when she was in high school. She told me what high school was like for them and the things that they liked to do and the things that they talked about. And that was a really beautiful. And I, I plan to continue to do that. I want to have a conversation with her wife and kind of record maybe if she would let me the conversation to hear more about like exactly how did you all meet and exactly yeah. how did, you know, what was it like? And when, you know, you know, how did your, how did your love develop over time? And, you know, tell me about the adventures you went on when you were in New Zealand together and things like that. So having conversations with people to learn parts about her that I didn't know. And then the last one is planning extra self-care for days that I know will be hard. So Anticipating like she passed on a Saturday and Saturdays can be hard because there are days I'm not really working and, you know, I have more kind of downtime to just think. And so I try to plan ahead and make sure I get extra sleep, spend time in nature, exercise, plan fun activities, and also give myself time to think about and reflect on her on those days. So those have been really powerful things that I've been doing that have helped me kind of manage my grief. Oh, those are such helpful steps for people that are listening. I hope that if you haven't been doing some of these things or if there's, a, you know, that one of these will give you a great idea for how to grieve your loved one in ways that'll be really helpful to you. I know that you had said something to me, Molly, about the ring theory of grief. Could you yeah. talk about that for a second? Yeah. So this one has been super helpful and not just in grief, but in any time there's a crisis in my life when, and I think Summer actually might've been the first person to share this with me, but it's this idea. It was created by a woman named Susan Silk and her friend, Barry Goldman. And the idea is that in a crisis that we sit at the center of a set of what's called social rings. So if you can think about it like this, if you draw a circle and in the middle of the circle, you write the name of the person at the center of the crisis. So in losing Summer, in the center of the circle would be her wife and her daughter. 
And yeah, you could make an argument that me and my sister and my mom would be there as well, but I would definitely put Summer's wife at the very center of the circle. Mm -hmm. And then you draw a larger circle around the first one. And in that ring, you put the names of the people who are next closest to the crisis. And then in each larger ring, you put the next closest people. So for example, for Summer, it would be her wife in the very center. And then maybe right outside would be me and my mom and my sister. And sorry, you put her wife and daughter in the middle. And then me and my mom and my sister. And then right outside that would be our cousin, you know, Courtney, who's incredibly close with her and, you know, other friends and relatives. And the idea with the ring theory is that you are prioritizing the feelings and the comfort of the people who are closer to the center of the circle than you are, right? So for example, when I'm having a really hard time about summer, I'm not dumping my feelings on her wife, right? I'm going to dump my feelings on someone who is farther away mm. from the crisis. Oh, interesting. Okay. And yeah. I am. And so you are comforting in and you are dumping out. And Angela, you did such a beautiful job of this in the week after summer passed. And, and so did all of our friends. Our friends who were trying to figure out if they could come to the service, they weren't blowing up my phone asking me a bunch of questions. They were blowing up your phone asking you a bunch <laughs> right, of questions yeah. because they knew that this was not the time. I'm at the center of the circle. This was not the time for them to worry me with a bunch of logistics about whether or not they could come to the service. You were someone who was farther outside the circle that they could, you know, contact and, you know, or even say like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I could come. And I'm having all kinds of feelings about whether or not I can come. Like they don't need to worry me with their feelings about whether or not they can come to the thing. Right. Because mm -hmm. I'm the right. one who is at who is. So so the idea of the ring theory is if you kind of picture like, OK, who is the person that is closest to the center of the crisis? And you're always doing everything you can to comfort the people who are more at the center of the crisis than you. And if you want to complain or whine or moan or, you know, or stress out or whatever, you're doing that, you're dumping out. So you're comforting in and you're dumping out. And that's a really helpful and the person who is at the center of the circle, they get to do whatever the hell they want, right? Summer's <laughs> wife can't yeah. to do. She can yell at us. She can be mean to us. She can whatever because she is the person who is closest to the crisis. And so we are all doing what we can to honor her, support her, prioritize her, comfort her, et cetera. So I just really like that for imagining like, you know, if it's like, you know, this person's treating me, you know, maybe in a way that I don't want to be treated at this point in time. It's like, okay, well, where, where in the circle are they? How can I give them a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit more grace if they're the person who, who is at the center and who's the person that I call when I want to complain, moan, curse, you know, whatever. And yeah. where, where are they in, in the set of rings? Wow. Well, I mean, what, what valuable words and a picture that I have in my mind now. What an amazing, you know, sequence that someone can follow, I think, yeah. for any for any crisis, whether it's divorce yeah. Or, yeah. or any sort of trauma or a, a job loss or mm -hmm. there's there are so many or COVID in general. <laughs> yeah. Even just in my own grief story, I thinking back having that would have been really, really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I hope that, that anyone listening will take a little bit of time to, to draw out that circle and mm -hmm. use it for your own work and, and for anything that comes up in the future, for sure. So 
Molly, in your book titled Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, which I think is an amazing title, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and it's an incredible book. Everyone must read it. Please. Yes. <laughs> yes. So encouraged. Yes. I remember when this book came out, Molly, you know, Molly and I are friends because you all are friends. And she sent me, personally sent me a beautiful box with the book inside. And I felt really special about that. So thank you for including me in that launch of your book. And I, I really have to tell everyone out there that you honestly help readers and anyone else who, who listened to the book or however they got their hands on it. You help the readers live a life filled with purpose and meaning. And often when someone we love dies, it, it maybe helps us reorient ourselves towards what matters most. Yeah. I imagine there are a lot of people listening who are in the aftermath of a death or a loved one or a traumatic event or even a divorce or something like that, a breakup, and feeling like they want to live with a deeper sense of meaning. So what are a few things we can do to live towards a life filled with purpose? Yeah. Well, I love this question. And thank you both for your kind words about my book and for being strong women who lift other women in your life up. Mm -hmm. I think if I could give people one action to take, it's actually one of the exercises that I walk people through in my book. It was really important to me as I wrote this. You know, I, I, I also love the title, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. And I think it's a powerful rally cry, but I, I wanted to give people actionable things that they can actually do, you know, being a yeah. coach for almost 20 years. Um, you know, it's like people are like eat less and move more. It's like, okay, well, but okay, how do you actually do that thing? Right? Like there's all kinds of like platitudes and things that you can mm -hmm. spew, but, but giving people action to take and things they can actually do is what creates powerful change in their lives. So if there's one thing that I could do to help people live with a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in their life, it would be to get really clear on what their values are. And I have a values exercise in the book where I actually walk people through how to discover what their core values are in their life. And I've done this for myself. And my number one value in life is to make a difference. My number two is integrity. And my number three is resilience. And the exercise that I walk people through, it's not just like, oh, what I, you know, which of these words resonate with you? And, you know, this is what I think I want my top value to be, right? It's like, no, 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 no. In the book, I walk you through identifying times in your personal and professional life where you're the happiest, helping you kind of get introspective about why you felt happy. Have you identified times you felt proud of yourself and, you know, what contributed to you being proud and times you felt fulfilled and satisfied and physically energized and full of, you know, vitality and flow. And then at that point, it's like, okay, here's a list of values that you can choose from. And you actually have to pare down. You pick the 25 that resonate with you and then you pare it down to 10 and you pare it down to five and you pare it down to three. And I tell you what, it is a challenge when I had to take family out of my top values <laughs> because I realized there were times in my life that I had sacrificed time or, you know, relationships with, you know, aspects of relationships with family members because I wanted to make a difference. That was a really, that's a hard one. Like you're having to stare yourself dead in the if I were to be really honest with myself, if I were to reality test whether or not these values, like these are my top values, like what would my closest friends unprompted say, like, are these accurate about me and how I live my life? 
Would I support these values even if it was unpopular to do so? And am I prioritizing my work and life according to these? That's that's a tough, um, tough look in the mirror, but it's also been an incredibly powerful way for me to to be clear on what my North Star is in life and to be able to make difficult decisions where I'm having to say, okay, is this more important to me or is that more important to me? And so I think for for me, the first step to folks being able to live a life filled with meaning and purpose is for them to get clear on what their core values are and what's most important to them, because that's going to help point them in the direction of what meaning and purpose actually is going to look like in their life. Because for some people, it's having a family. For other people, it's, you know, doing incredible things with their work. For other people, it's related to you know, solving a particular, you know, crisis or uh, volunteering with an organization that they're passionate about. We're all going to have a different, different things in life that give us that meaning and purpose. And so getting clear on your values, I think, is the first step to being able to uncover what exactly that is. And I can testify, this is Dr. Angela, as her best friend, but also as a reader of this book and as someone who used the values exercise in this this past spring and other parts of Molly's book to make a difficult decision myself related to work, that it does work. Like it helps. Hmm. When you know your personal values and I, you know, I was able to discern my three, then you can think about the larger story that you're living to in your life and what you're trying to decide and say, does this, if I go this way, does it match my values or not? Like, or maybe I need to go this way to match these values more. Mm-hmm. It was super helpful to me. It was amazing. And so for anyone who's listening out there, what's awesome about this book is that it's very, very practical. If you're looking for more meaning and purpose, if you're looking to figure out how you can encourage other people around you, this book does have several different practices, like things that you can engage in throughout the book that are very, very practical. And you can actually go to mollygalbraith.com and we'll put this in the show notes and get a free chapter. The first chapter, you can download it and read it. You can listen to the book on Audible. Molly reads it herself. It's amazing. And then she has all these other bonuses that you can get if you email book at girlsgonestrong.com. And so we'll put that in the show notes if you want the free bonuses, some practical stuff to help you to live toward more meaning and purpose in your life. Molly, you know, this has been, we could talk for for hours Mm -hmm. and hours and hours. And this has been an incredible Mm -hmm. conversation so far. And you know how much I love you and how grateful I am to you. I'm, I want to ask you the question that we always ask our guest, which is, what is one way that joy has found you recently? Mm. As you know, and as I learned from you, you know, it can feel, if you don't know a lot about joy, it can feel like joy and grief are so far apart. But the truth is, is that joy can find us in grief, which is such a beautiful beautiful thing to experience. I would say two things. I don't know if I can answer just just one. Two things, ways that Joy has found me recently is number one, I'm a helper at heart. Again, my top value is to make a difference. And I've been sharing a lot about my my grief online. And I would say the combination of hearing from people who are uh, hearing from people who are resonating with the stuff that I'm talking about as it relates to grief and then it's helping them get through their own and hearing the stories that people in the GGS community are sharing about summer. Both of those have brought me immense joy in the mm. last 10 weeks. And then 
a video that I found of Summer. It's a two to three minute video where she is playing ping pong with our mutual friend, Jeevers, <laughs> who I think was actually going to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, it shout is, out to Jeevers. Shout out we to look Jeever. forward to having you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is the cutest, funniest video I've ever seen. Summer is serving the ping pong ball and she keeps slamming it as hard as she possibly can right at Jeevers. And she is so tickled with herself and how funny this this thing is that it is it's I get to hear her hear her laugh. I get to hear her talk. I get to see her interacting with a good friend of mine. I get to see and hear all of my family members laughing in the background. And it's really been one of my most favorite, you know, kind of summer memorabilia that I have. And I watch it over and over again anytime I wanna I wanna laugh and smile. So I'd say watching that video of her and remembering that moment when I was taking that video has brought me a lot of joy. Oh, Molly, it makes it brings me joy just to hear you talk about that video because I've seen it, <laughs> but also just to hear the way you describe like what it does for you. Mm-hmm. And and I remember you said on Instagram, and that's another. I would encourage you if you don't follow Molly Galbraith on on Instagram, do it please because she gives you all kinds of amazing advice, wisdom, guidance. I mean, Girls Gone Strong has tons of free resources, but like on her Instagram specifically, she shares a lot about life. And so it's like, you know, and so the other day she made a post, Molly, you made a post that was like, basically take all the pictures. Yeah. You know, don't be self-conscious. Like, please try to try to try to let go of any sort of self-consciousness you have and just take the videos, take the photos because now you just, I, I know you're treasuring them so much. Yes. And it means so much to you. Yeah. Yes, I am. And just briefly, I said countless women avoid being in pictures or videos because they don't like the way their bodies look. My sister just died unexpectedly at 42. I'm so grateful. We have hundreds of photos of her laughing, smiling, and living her life. I know her daughter is too. I beg you, take the damn photo. <laughs> yes. Amen. 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 Yes. Thank you, Molly. Thank you so much for being the bestest friend that anyone could ever imagine for three decades, basically now. Thank you for sharing a bit of your story today with us, for being so honest about the last couple of months of your life and the grief that you and your family have experienced. We honor Summer today. May she Mm -hmm. rest in power. Uh, We honor, especially in that last question, we honor the way that she lived her life with such meaning Mm. and purpose. We are grateful to you. We are grateful for her. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said at the beginning, I just, your all's support behind the scenes has been, has meant the world to me and to, you know, losing someone suddenly and being in this deep grief, it's like a club you don't want to be part of, but only (laughs) other people in the club understand. And so to connect with other people who know what you're going through just means the world. It just makes that unbearable load a little lighter. So love you both. Thank you for everything you've done for me personally. And thank you for everything that I know that your grief resources in this podcast are going to do for so many people. I love you all. Hey family, this is Coach Steph, and we want you to know that we appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind, and especially if you found our podcast helpful, please follow, rate, and or officially subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps us grow and gets the word out to more listeners who really and truly need us. 
You can also consider supporting us even further by pressing the support button in our Anchor podcast link found in the show notes. Even $1 a month is helpful for us to continue to bring amazing guests and content to your ears. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace, but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters book club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always always find you.